At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? morning, church. Good morning. You can go ahead and take a seat for me. How are we feeling this morning? Yes, I'm feeling better. If you are here last week, I did not feel too hot. I'm happy to be back here up on stage bringing the word this morning in the wonderful snow. You guys are amazing. If you've raised kids or have grandkids, nieces, nephews, there's just something special about seeing children pray. There's just something about seeing these little three, four-year-olds and their innocence praying out to God. And one of my favorite things to do that I've mentioned before is I love to watch my youngest child, Charlie, pray. Charlie's three, and her prayers are epic. Like when she prays, she'll say, thank you, God, for, then she'll pause and she'll look around. She'll be like, for my bunk bed. Uh, Thank you, God, for my Barbies. Thank you, God. I love when she prays for her turtle. We have a little box turtle, Oreo. She loves, or not Oreo, Nike. Uh, Nike, and she loves praying for her little turtle. And there's just something about that. I laid with her last night. She was having trouble going to bed. I'm like, okay, maybe she can give me more sermon material. And so I was like, Charlie, do you want to pray before bed? No, don't like prayer. I'm like, really? What? Come on, girl. So there's just something special about witnessing children pray. I was reading a recent poll that still in our country, Almost 80% of people say they pray on a regular basis. I was actually pretty surprised by that. That 80% almost of people in our country still claim that they pray on a regular basis. And also when asked, hey, uh, what do you pray for? And who do you pray with? It was not much a surprise to me that most people pray about themselves, and by themselves. So most people pray for themselves, and they pray alone. And there's nothing wrong with this per se, that it's wrong to pray for yourselves, and it's wrong to pray alone. I mean, we look at Scripture, and and littered throughout Scripture, there's so many prayers, individual prayers. And even 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you read... Uh, Paul, he says it, that we're called to pray without ceasing, pray without stopping. And and how does that look like, right? Because we sleep and we work, and really that's about keeping the conversation going. That in our lives, we want to be able to talk to God in whatever capacity, in whatever we're doing, whether we're doing the dishes or we're working or we're hanging out, we want to be so connected with the Father, that we can just, in our heart, be like, hey, God, I really need your help in this moment. 
And, and so I think about that. There's nothing wrong with praying alone and praying for yourself. I mean, look at the Psalms. Look, look at some of the prayers that we see. In, in Psalm 4, it says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. In Psalm chapter 5, it says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groanings. Give attention to my cry, my King, my God, for who I pray. Psalm 6, it says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Psalm 7, he cries out to God, O Lord, my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from my pursuers and my deliverers. And so even though we read all these individual prayers, we have to remember that also as we read the text of Scripture, that in the New Testament, prayers were deeply communal. And they happened in a church setting. And so us, we're in America, and we are a radically individualistic culture. I got it. I'll do it on my own. I don't need help. But when we understand the word of God, we see that corporate and communal prayer was part of the identity of the church. The church prayed together. And they prayed together often. And so when we talk about personal faith and my story, that, I get it, that's part of it. But we do this together. Some of us, you know, we're visiting churches. Maybe we've been attending here a couple weeks. Maybe we've been attending here six months. I hope one of the things that you look for is a church that prays. I had a friend tell me recently, yeah, I'm trying to go to different churches and, and check out which ministry that I want to get more plugged in. And he said, but I went to this church and I was walking out the door and I realized they not once prayed. We want to be a church that, that when we gather together, we don't abandon, we don't neglect the design for the church, which is praying together. And that's a big thing that matters to us. I, I was actually looking up a couple statistics this week as well, and, and I found some really interesting and, and sad, but honestly, in some ways, I wasn't surprised, uh, really insightful about prayer. And, and in, our, in our country, we pray more for our sport teams then we pray for the men and women leading our country. 13% of people said they pray for their sports team on a regular basis, as 12% say they pray for the men and women leading our country. And also, we pray more to win the lottery than we pray for the lost of this world. You know, offering prayers as a spiritual family for our spiritual family is, is good. 
And the gathering that we have, I believe, should be saturated in different moments of prayer. And so it should be no surprise as we go into this next message in this series, Church, Why Bother? It should be no surprise to us that Paul was challenging Timothy, and that Timothy was kind of his apprentice, kind of his intern. He mentored him. And so when he was challenging him at this church at Ephesus, he was telling them, hey, set up times that you guys pray together. Because whenever you're facing challenges, whenever you're facing obstacles, we need to remember when we gather, we pray. If you remember last week, what was happening in 1 Timothy chapter 1 was the church, they were like wandering away from strong teaching. And they had people with different beliefs, understandings. And, and so he's being challenged, Timothy, by Paul. Hey, you got to correct. You got to have sound doctrine. Do not swerve from the truth. But here in the second chapter, we're going to see that he challenges them. Hey, first of all, you got to pray. You got to come together and understand the power of prayer. But why bother? Why bother to pray? Like, hey, I pray on my own. What's the big deal about praying with a group? Or why would I pray with people? I'm insecure just to pray in front of a friend or a family member or a spouse. Or maybe we don't even pray together. There's no way I can pray with other people. I mean, they're so much deeper in the word and they're more eloquent in their prayers. And so we feel insecure about prayer. You know, why bother praying for the world when my world is falling apart? When we come together and pray for others when my life is out of control? How am I supposed to lift up others when I'm crumbling myself? When I'm battling insecurities and struggles and mental health, the simplest answer is we pray together because God commands it and because God responds to it. He commands it and he responds to it. And God delights in the prayer of community And he delights in the prayers of us alone, nothing around. It's not one or the other. It's it's either or. Either way, there's uniqueness and there's power in praying together that I feel like our culture, we just forget. And, and, And it's just something that because of how tight we are and how we keep things close to the chest... We forget the power of praying together, the mystery of God's church drawing together in prayer. And prayer, this concept, it's such a beautiful thing, right? Like God knows the prayers we will utter before we were even born, before they were even on our brain, before we even whispered them. And he already knows what's going to happen and to be determined in our life. And yet, at the same time, even though God has already determined the outcome with his sovereignty, God also responds to our prayers. 
So we ask the question. We're supposed to pray together, but what do we pray about? (laughs) What are we supposed to pray for? First thing we see is when we gather together, we are supposed to pray for all people. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to be digging in to the first seven verses of this chapter. And we see from the beginning in verse 1, we are called to pray for all people. This is what it says. First of all, then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people. And so we see here, When it says, first of all, another way is above everything else, the place to start. So they're having all this drama in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, going away from the gospel. And now in response, he says, first of all, pray. We had a lady in my last church, and she exhausted finances and time and, and tried different dietary practices. And she went to the best hospitals in, in the country, to MD Anderson and Cleveland Clinic and Mayo. And she had these health issues. And she just said, I, I have exhausted everything. And she came up to me. She said, would the, would the church leaders, would they be willing to pray over me? I said, of course we'll pray with you. So we had a Thursday night service, and after that Thursday night service, we got elders and we got staff, and we laid hands over her, and we prayed over her, and there were tears, and there was power in that room. A faithful child of God who'd been following the Lord for over four decades, and the last thing she chose to do was to pray. And so often, in our pride, we say, oh, we've exhausted everything. Now let's show up to church. Now let's pray. Now let's use this religion stuff. When we see in the text, go to God first in prayer. Go to God in the beginning. In this lady's case, we prayed over her. We left. It was very encouraging in the room. I texted her a couple weeks, maybe a month later, and she said, I have not felt this good in 15 years. Six months, year went by, follow up, hey, how you doing? I have not felt this good for this stretch of time in 15 years. Now, is is God going to do miraculous acts of of healing in every case? That's that's above my pay grade, right? But, But the thing is this, that we are called, first of all, to pray. And he gives us different ways that we're supposed to pray. He says in this language of of supplication. Does anyone use that word on a regular basis? Does anyone ever use supplication? Have you heard it though? Have we had some people heard it? Like in my many years of ministry, I never had anyone text me and say, hey, pastor, I really need some supplications, okay? Like give me two, three, four supplications up in this house. Now, never. They say, can you pray for me? 
So, so what's the distinction between supplications, prayers, intercessions? Well, supplication has to do with passionately asking, almost like humbly begging. Like you're crying out and looking for God to respond to a specific need. And so we have that distinction. And prayers, prayers is about talking and bringing the people that were, that were requesting to God and, and were asking for those blessings and those needs that they need in their life. But it doesn't have that intensity that we see with the idea of supplications. Then there's intercession. And intercession is, is this image of like us standing before a king and passionately appealing to the king on another's behalf. So when someone comes to me or they text or they ask me, hey, pastor, can, can you pray for me? And, and if I'm good to my word and I, and I put it in my phone or I put an alarm on my phone or I write it on my prayer, uh, prayer list, I'm gonna go at some point and I'm gonna go before the Father and I'm gonna say, God, this person's requesting for their marriage. And they're saying that they're just not on the same page. Can you humble their hearts that they can speak to each other? That they can be loving? That they can seek out help so they can come together in the beautiful union of marriage? Or maybe if someone's saying, I'm just mentally, I'm just, I'm so depressed. I'm so broken. I have no hope in my life. I love Jesus, but I'm just, I just am just struggling. God, let them remember your promises. Let them remember your word that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fight against the whispers of the enemy to, to make them feel completely inadequate. That's intercession. Interceding on the behalf of another. Some of us, we intercede a lot. You have your people that they don't like praying for themselves. And so they're just constantly praying for others. Oh, I don't want to burden God. No, you got to pray for yourself. But we have others who just intercede on the behalf of another. And then finally, thanksgiving, which means expressing gratitude, maybe for another person or for, for yourself. Nonetheless, this language that we're seeing here, it's not about the type of prayer. It's really about all the different kinds of prayer that are offered for all people. So in this case, offer these prayers of supplications and prayers and thanksgiving and intercession for all people, above all else, pleading, urging, carrying that weight of prayer into your time with the Father. And our prayers, you know, I think about it, they're supposed to be unlimited unconditional as God's grace. And, and it's something that we want to make a regular rhythm in our life, praying for all people. And so as we pray for everyone, we also need to remember that it, God is not exclusive, that God is not uh, nationalistic, that, that God is not racist, that, that God is not selective, there's no, no category of people that should be left off our prayer lists. 
all humanity is in the circle. And it's not that we're supposed to pray for all 8 billion people by name because, you know, we can't do that. But there's no group, no classification, no crowd that is excluded from God's desire for the world. You know, even fast forwarding to verse 4, it says that he desires for all people to be what? To be saved. That doesn't mean that all people are saved because that would be universalism. It doesn't mean that everyone will be saved. It means that God desires for all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires it, but others don't. And they don't reciprocate and they don't accept that. And so God wants all not just locally, not just nationally, but globally to be saved. S.D. Gordon wrote in his classic uh, little devotional in the early 1900s called Quiet Talks on Prayer. He said, the great people of the earth today are people who pray. I do not mean those who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer. But I mean these people who take time and pray. They have not time. It must be taken from something else. This something else is important, very important and pressing, but still less important and less pressing than prayer. Guys, take a time inventory. Where do you got it? Where do you got the time? The question and the answer, they're tough. You don't. And so you have to understand the priority of prayer. It will take from something that in in our standards is important. But it's still less important than prayer. So the question is, for a church, which will be challenging, (laughs) which will be sobering, it's a question that I have asked myself on multiple occasions this week. Are we a church family that prays for all people? Do we pray for those suffering in Ukraine? Do we pray for the sons who've been lost in Russia? Do we pray with those who are in human trafficking in India, Iran, and Venezuela? Do we pray for those in Lebanon, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Syria who don't have access to clean water? Do do we pray for those in Yemen and Central Africa who don't have access to food? Do we pray for the persecuted church in the Middle East, in Africa? Do we pray for the 42% of the world that live in places that there are no Christians? Do we pray for the missionaries 
who go to churches and build churches that the gospel may flourish? Do we pray for the 7,000 different people groups to no access, who have no access to a Bible? You know, our commission, our purpose, our goal is to go make disciples of all the nations. And is that something that, that we even think about? And, and when working through that myself, it's a tough question. Charles Spurgeon famously said, it is the whole business of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. How do we even begin to wrestle with the reality of that mission? We pray. We go first as a gathering to pray for all people. I mean, when you feel so helpless and you're like, where do you start? You start with prayer. What else? What else should the church pray for? We are called to pray for our leaders. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 2. We're called to pray for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So you think about praying for kings, and it's easy to understand, okay, kings, that's probably, you know, in our mind, our president. And at this time in Rome, they had emperors, but when they say, hey, pray that we live peaceful lives, and no one bothers us, and we can you know, uh, be dignified and have things good. You have to remember context. Think about biblical context. It's much different from us here in the States. We think things are starting to progress here, and they are a little, but it's nothing compared to what we see here as Timothy is hearing this message from Paul as he's in Ephesus. Does anyone know who the king or the emperor of Rome was when this letter was being written? It's King Nero. What's significant about King Nero? He loved a couple things. One of them is the death of Christians. He actually created a state funded, systematic way of persecuting Christians. So here, when he's like, hey, uh, pray for your leaders. You think people are excited to pray for the people that are trying to kill them? What he would do is he would throw Christians in, Col in the Colosseum to fight gladiators and beasts. And the crowds would cheer as they'd get ripped to shreds. Or they dress them up in animal skin so the beasts would attack them even more. He would stake them in Rome like the streets. He would allow children, mothers, fathers to be taken out of their homes, thrown in prison. A lot of capital punishment. And so when he says, pray for them, those in high positions, it's a lot different than us. Because in this case, they wanted them dead. 
And, and even in a lot of ways, mercy for them was just to get beheaded because it was usually cruel acts of slow, agonizing pain for those who were Christians. But regardless, in our context, what, what this means for us is we have to be praying for our president. Regardless of what you think about policies and politics, we need to be praying for our president. We're supposed to be praying for our governor. No matter what you believe on policies and politics, we need to be praying for our governor, our senators, those in the House of Representatives, our local officials. Internationally, we need to be praying for Vladimir Putin. We need to be praying for President Zelensky. We have to be praying for those in leadership in our world. And we need to remember specifically that, that we live under their authority. That we are supposed to be honoring to them as best as we can, as, as much as it is not contradictory to the word. And Jesus said, love your enemies. He said, do good to those who, are, who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So we pray for our leaders. And this is pleasing in the sight of God. And we know, guys, power corrupts. Greed is real. We pray. We continue to pray so that we may lead peaceful and quiet lives. Doesn't mean we're praying for them so that we can live good, smooth lives. Doesn't mean that we pray for them so we can chase the American dream. It means that we can have peace in the midst of persecution and that the gospel can flourish. That the gospel can grow unhindered. And we can further that message as God continues to shape the world. You know, I think about enemies and bitterness and struggle and all that. People say, hey, what's going to help? You know, I have this person in my life and I can't stand them or I struggle with them. W what helps? I came across this quote this week. It says, no one can feel hatred towards those for whom he prays. There's just something that is softened when we go to God for others. And so I was thinking about this. Okay, how, how has this affected me? And I have the perfect story. So I was in Bible college, and there was a person who drove me nuts. Okay? Like, they annoyed me to the nth degree. And, and we're cool now. I hope he's watching online. His name is Malachi. Got a deep love for him. And, and I know that you guys don't get bothered by anyone, right? I know you guys are much more spiritual than me. I see how you drive. When someone cuts you off, you throw rose petals out the window at them. So much more gentle and caring and be blessed, you know? 
This guy, he was just something. He was outgoing in the sense of he, when he entered a room, he was louder <laughs> and he wanted everyone to focus on him. He was the guy who interrupted conversations in the middle of them to try to push himself in and he just made me twitch, all right? So he was in classes with me. I would try to be working. He'd be talking and the teacher, hey, be quiet. And I was like, why is this guy here? So here I am, a squirrely little 20-year-old, and I'm like trying to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus and, and to serve him in the church. And so we had to serve at the local church. And I found this sweet little country church, uh, First Baptist Church of Salisbury, all right? Tiny town, about 25 minutes away, and I was serving for a youth group at this church. And lo and behold... Malachi, out of all the churches in Missouri, chose to volunteer at that church. And so here I am, I see him the first night, I'm like, no, please, no! And there he is. Then he comes up with the idea after, and he says, you know what, we're, we're all in college, you know, we don't have money for gas, let's all carpool every week! I'm like, oh no! I'm not the biggest guy in the world. I got the back seat with Malachi. So for six months, him and I rode in the back seat of that car. And I was like, God, <laughs> you have a sense of humor. So I started praying for him. And so when I went to pray for him, I'm like, God, you know me. I want to put on my brass knuckles and go to work. <laughs> Please help me have a heart for this guy. So then it went from he bothers me to, hey, Malachi, share your story. I remember him looking at me. He said, I've been 10, 20 different foster homes. I bounced around for years. No one wanted me. They kept pushing me to the next one. They, they left me. I, my brothers and sisters, we were split. We don't see each other. Don't have a relationship with my family. Until this last family, they said, hey, we want to adopt you. So they adopted me. They're a Christian home. They took me to church every week. And I gave my life to Jesus. And I said, man, God, I want to serve you. I want to, I want to do ministry for you. And immediately that intensity and judgment that I had shrunk. And it turned into compassion. And I started to see Malachi for the child of God that he was. He had a story and an experience, and he was the way he was for so many reasons, looking for attention and love wherever he went. And that's the thing about prayer. Prayer replaces hostility with compassion. Prayer replaces anger with, with a deeper understanding. Prayer replaces resentment with restoration and moves our hearts and softens our hearts towards God's heart, which is love. And so when I think about prayer and how we in those moments when we are frustrated with our kids... 
when we're frustrated with our bosses, when we're frustrated with our spouses, when we're frustrated with what we believe our life should have looked like, in those moments, go first to prayer. Better yet, bring some people with you to pray with you. There are people I have in my life who we pray on the phone. And even though it's a little different, we try to put it in our relationship so we aren't just talking sports and kids, that we get to go to the Father together. Better yet, bring people along to pray and let God soften your heart in prayer for the world. Last thing that we see that we're supposed to pray for is we're called to pray that the gospel advances. We want the gospel to advance. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. You know, Paul, he was preaching in areas where there were just buckets of different gods. Gods for everything. You know, I think about in our world, there'd be the, the god of Apple Watch. Or, you know, it's just like, who knows? They just, they saw something, okay. And they would make a god for it. And so here he is declaring, one god. And one mediator. Between God, it's Jesus Christ. And this only God reconciled the world to himself. And, and it was all the cross. And so with us, and, and I know, because I've been in ministry long enough, and I've been a human long enough, that it is hard even with following Christ. It's easy to get entangled and fall into sin. And whether we've never given our lives to him or we've been doing the whole dancing around our relationship with God or, or we've been all in for years, no matter where we are, no matter where we stand, we are free, we are forgiven, and if we, if we surrender our life to him and believe we can be saved. We can be redeemed through faith. We can do that. And Paul, you know, he, he understood his calling. Preach. To go make disciples of the world. To go tell the world. That's our commission too. That the world would know the Savior that even saved us. Church, the, the progress of the gospel in this world, I believe, is in the power of us praying for the world. A.B. Simpson was the founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. It was said that in the morning he would wake up and 
go to a globe and, and embrace a globe, clutching the globe, weeping in prayer for the world. And people would catch him weeping and crying for those on that map to know Jesus. That's how I want to start my mornings. That's how I want to start my days, not just going about whatever I think needs to fulfill my needs, but answering the call of how can I be the gospel today this world? How can I pray, not just for myself, but for the world? That's why this week, this being the, a prayer week here at Woodside, as announced earlier, we get to pray at the end of the week as a church. Friday night, we get to come together at 7 p.m. and we get to pray as Woodside Church. There's going to be people praying and fasting all week. And we get to do that together. And even throughout this week, every day at 9 a.m., we're going to release on Facebook a different prayer. And we'll be able to pray together at 9 a.m. as a church if, if you can. It'll be available the rest of the day as well. But we want to be praying as a church. Making it an opportunity for us to lift up holy hands for those in the world who need it. You know, I think about prayer because, again, think about pride as well and how it is t tension with prayer. Saying, I got it, and then understanding that only God has it. I think about jumping into the ocean with scuba gear and forgetting the oxygen tank. So often we jump in forgetting what is the source of health and change. We do it last or we don't do it ever. Encourage us, church. Let us gather and let us be a people, a community of prayer. Let's pray. Father, as we end this morning and we get to worship you, I pray that we are a church family that intentionally comes to you. I don't know what everyone's bringing in this room. I don't know what trouble is, is in our lives that we just are just being strangled by. And it might be like, I can't even, I can barely get myself up in the morning let alone be praying for the world. Father, I pray for those that they come up, that they find someone that, that can come around them and care for them, be consistent with them to, to help them know that they are not alone. We don't see in your word any Lone Ranger Christians. We see a deep community that leans on each other. And so I pray that we lean into one another. We let down our pride we let down those guards, which were trying to, trying to be something, trying to show an image, which is just pride. Let us lay down our pride and be the church that you're calling us to be. God, thank you again for this morning. We love you, and we thank you for the cross. 
We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.